right at the heart of the human experience is sanya, perception. The mind pulling out particulars from the flux of sensation. Sensation, understanding that in Buddhist psychology includes the mind door, the sensations we call thinking. But all of it, also the seeing, the hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, all the internal sensations associated with touching, the felt sense. The mind upon contact, there arises the experience of the pleasant or unpleasant sight or sound and so on, but also the sanya, the perception of its features, of what it is. This is so basic, so central, that when teaching even the first noble truth, and the Buddha speaks of, you know, what is this thing we're calling suffering, when he wants to condense it, he says, in short, the five clinging aggregates are suffering. And that means just this material form and this process of the pleasant and unpleasant and neutral sensations and sanya, perception, right there at the basics. And then, just to finish the picture, it includes sankara or constructions or all that is built up in this of personality and memory and mood and the whole constructing process of making the world the way it is known by consciousness. The fifth is consciousness. But it's this sanya that's so important to understanding uh, the way we grasp at and fear the world. Because it's this is what we grasp. This is what we fear. We're driven by the Vedana, by the, the urging of, you know, for the pleasure and the fearing of the pain and the turning off the delusion when it's neither pleasant nor painful, just helps sustain. But while the draw comes out of the hungers of uh, pushed by these, you know, pleasures and pains, it's the object formation, the feature detection of sanya that begins to have us navigate in the world a certain way, even as we're speaking now. You detect or you construct or you sense or you perceive your own body sitting. Ah, this body is perceived. 
but more to the point, these words that I'm speaking right now are being perceived. It's just a stream of sound. It's just a stream of sound. From the pure contact, and whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral in some elemental way, you're hearing words. Sanya. You're hearing words. And what's happening, of course, is those words then perceived move along through the verbal machinery of the brain and link up with this astonishing capacity to unpack that perception, that little specific compact word blossoms into all the neural networks, all the memory, all the learning, all your history associated with these words and these phrases as you grow it out and this whole body-mind vibrates not just with the sound but with the words being spoken and what they carry. We call it meaning or something like that. And this is happening now moment by moment. Moment by moment, as I speak and you're listening, this whole process is happening. Sanya, perception. And this is, I'm not telling you this so you can be technically smart. This is important. This is still, every talk I give is the same talk. It's about suffering and freedom. That's all I talk about. But the way this happens invisibly means that the ways that we've met language and created words spoken will be completely driven by our history without sati the way we meet another in, in language contact without mindfulness will just set in motion the whole stream of conditioned reaction. That's all. And the world is like this. We just continue swimming around in the world like this. And language is this huge part of it, not just externally not just between us, but internally. The stream of your internal language formation. Don't you get sick of it? <laughs> I do. Oh, God, I so tire of the regurgitations of this mind. Oh, my. reading a sutta the other day. It's a passage that I like so much I read it a lot and I share it in 
as as an object of contemplation with others frequently. And the Buddha is speaking about gathering up all the branches in this rose apple land and stacking them all up. The rose apple land is all of India, right? So it's just like you can imagine the, this unfathomably huge pile of twigs and branches. And take one and each one is my mother and my mother's mother and my mother's mother and my mother's mother. And that pile would be exhausted and you still would not have come to the beginning. And at the end he says, it's enough to be disenchanted. It's enough to be dispassionate by this. It's enough to be liberated by this, to be liberated by it, to be liberated by it. You have to meet it. You have to know the experience. And I'm just awfully sick of my own, you know, mother's mother's mother of, in this case, I'm talking about the language aspect of it, not just the whole reincarnation. But moment by moment, how do we be free if we're blind to this river of words? Internally and between us. So can mindfulness touch there? Can we actually speak about things, things that matter, but speak about things that brings us to, uh, it brings forward this gift, the fact that we're speaking of the very birth of conceiving. Now, conceiving is something the Buddha spoke about as a dart, a canker. You know, he had all these not so great, uh, charming words for conceiving. But the fact is that we're conceiving creatures. So, sure, if you want to reference Nibbana, if you want to reference the complete release of all mental constructing processes, fine. No words. No problem. But it's enough to be liberated by them. If you ignore and turn away from the actualities of this human experience, how will you ever gain skill in the world that is at that boundary of constructing and release? So I point out that even though the Buddha spoke of conceiving not many, many places, but you can see where he touches, you know, that this is a real problem, this conceiving mind. Could we 
take a look at the Dhamma, at the Vinaya? Could we take a look at this vast set of teachings and the whole monks and nuns rules? That's quite a system, huh? It's a stunningly beautiful, powerful system. Why does it exist? How does it exist? It exists through language and it exists to liberate. So make no bones about it. The Buddha was using language in a liberative way. There is no mistaking that. Over and over and over you read in the discourses and at the end of this talk 60 bhikkhus were liberated you know, and every time that talk was given, another 60 or another 500. Or you just read about this one intimate encounter with one person and the Buddha, you know. Boom. Language was involved, my friends. That's language that goes to the edge and points beyond itself. meditation instructions, even from all the great Sayadaws, are offered in words, are they not? That's language that goes beyond itself. Someone says, like me, pause. And right there, you're at the edge. It's simple. It's not an esoteric edge. Pause is such an edge. Looking at the moment-by-moment flux of the body-mind. Some experiences can be perceived and named in a very straightforward way. This hurts. I banged my toe. Or you could even say something like, I'm sad, which is quite a subtle thing. Or it's good to see you again. It's quite a subtle thing, but you can pretty much name it. But the closer you get to the actual experience of the body-mind in this moment, the more elusive this precision becomes. So, if I say, I'm sad, and I really pause, and I bring mindfulness to the body, to the sensations, I notice the quality of the mind states, and I can begin to perhaps describe to you this landscape of my experience in this moment. There's a kind of a feeling of emptiness right here, and there's not a lot of energy to meet experience, and you know whatever components that might be familiar to you, you could insert here associated with sadness. But we're beginning to see that what seemed fairly easy 
gets more subtle. And if you look at any particular aspect of even anything I just said, what does it mean to say there's an emptiness in here, or I feel very flat, or uh, a sense of dissatisfaction? What is even that? And you go back and you go back and it's, there's no end. Why is there no end? Because the word is not the thing. That's the point. That's the edge. That's the edge. The word is not the thing. It can't be. It never will be. Even when the word is the thing, it's not the thing. But you, by bringing mindfulness to experience and inviting the naming, the mindfulness can get more precise. You only think of conceptualization as sort of getting lost in proliferation. It's not the same. Yes, you could get lost in proliferation, and it's sanya, perception, that makes papancha, proliferation, possible. Right? As soon as you have language, you can just go off forever in any direction you want. Without language, try it. Very difficult to proliferate without language. There can be a moving through the body of a torrent of feeling, for sure, and that can keep going circularly between mind states and emotions and feeling in the body, and that can proliferate that way, for sure. But when you talk about proliferation that grabs the mind and kind of keeps you locked in that regurgitative flow, language is the key. But when you go to that edge where you really employ the sati, it's not proliferative. In fact, it catches you up short because it takes you right to that mystery, that unknowable, in my experience anyway, place where the thing and the word somehow are associated and I find myself speaking. But the quality of meditation practice while speaking can be very high and uninterrupted. It's that quality of bringing the sati and the samadhi, the, 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 the concentric, this gatheredness of mind to that place of listening and speaking where I am inquiring what, you know, internally, what is it I would speak? And I would, uh, that investigation is being made possible by mindfulness and the concentration until I can find what's true to be spoken. It kind of opens the door. It opens the door of the flow of the words 
but not mindlessly. Like as I'm speaking now, there's mindfulness, but I'm not going and trying to find individually every single word I'm speaking. But the sati can run right through it. While listening, we have the same dynamic. We have the mirror image of that dynamic. Someone is speaking, and the normal pattern, the normal sort of physics of experience, the word touches, and the flow of words, I should say, because it's not at that point individual words. Like as I speak a sentence quickly, like I'm speaking now, you're getting the contour of what I'm saying. Each individual word is being woven by your internal brilliance into this, right? Into this meaning that I'm offering. But you bring the sati to this process of listening. And the blossoming forth of understanding brings you, could bring you, right to the edge of experience, to the moment where meaning is unfolding, where there's no break in mindfulness, but there's not even any tension or force because there's interest. There's interest in what's being said. So the mind just is carried on the stream and settles, just moves with experience. Language also makes this possible. But the normal pattern is the words touch, the flow of words touch, and then it triggers a corresponding flow of mental activity, conceptualization, emotional reaction, all kinds of thoughts. And then one sits with another, looking like one's meditating, but it's just parallel thinking, you know, two body-mind systems sort of moving more or less independently, a little bit of connection occasionally, some word penetrates the fog. It doesn't have to be like that. Is that believable? Does that seem possible? I don't know. If you say it's impossible, I have to go home. <laughs> My flight doesn't leave for quite a while. Of course, we're back to the same old formula. Without the mindfulness, there's no way. Not possible. Because by definition, the mindfulness, the sati, 
is remembering the awareness and then that comes into this process, which may still be pretty automatic, especially you present a thought to the mind like a contemplation in insight dialogue. You present that language to the mind saying, okay, now we're going to talk, let's say, I offered a contemplation on clinging to views and asked you what your most precious view is. You touch the mind with that, and my God, you're off on your politics and your Buddhism and your whatever. Art, I don't know, environmentalism, feminism, whatever you got, boom, there's my view. But there's a million things coming up in that moment of touch. How does mindfulness get in there? That's the pause, right there. If someone else is speaking, the pause is awakening in the listening. Listening deeply is the meditation instruction. It's much deeper than trying to communicate well. That comes for free. You don't have to work on that. Don't even try. Stay with your meditation practice. So if it's with your partner and he or she is speaking, listening deeply, the sati is to land there and remain, to stay there, not just to land because one word piques your interest. But there's the concentration, the steadiness of attention, the relaxing into the whole flow of the words. Pause, relax is essential to listen deeply. So that's how the sati gets in. How does the sati get into your speaking, though. Wow. To actually pause as a contemplation touches the mind or as any experience of the world, any moment of the world touches the body-mind. But I'll use a specific contemplation as an example, like this one of clinging. Touches the mind, all these possible thoughts How can you possibly speak the truth, which is the meditation instruction, speak the truth? How can you possibly speak the truth if you're not present to know this truth? Because the only truth that matters in meditation is subjective experience, right? Meditation, mindfulness, is knowing the subjective truth in this very moment is subjective experience. So if you're going to speak and there's no pause of sati, then you're just going to be speaking from automatic. The contemplation touches the mind, proliferates, and somehow out of that mess you speak this. You don't even know how, you don't even know you're speaking, and it's just life as we usually are not meditating, but having maybe a great conversation about our views, 
a useful conversation even, a conversation that reveals attachment to the views or something. But the underneath of meditation practice isn't ripening. But it's so alluring to go with just what grabs you, because it feels good to express yourself. Here I am. Here's my views. Even if you're doing it in a humble way, it's me. This interrupts that flow. You see the allure of normal talking. It's, it's a great way to feed the river of becoming. Just, just start talking and, okay, no doubt about it, I am. <laughs> but you pause and it's all up for grabs. Maybe not. Pause. And now, but now that there's mindfulness, you see that with this contemplation, there's so much going on. Like this one on views, let's say. Thought, 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 thought. What's true? What do I, how do I speak the truth? It's like you just walked into a cocktail party and there's 30 voices all saying, oh, now this one, now this one. Yeah, let's talk about the political views. No, no, I think the views of uh, the religious views or, um, you know, I'm, I'm noticing I've been pretty focused on uh, uh, my views about my favorite uh, fashions or whatever. What do you say? What do you speak? How do you find the truth to speak? Every, every single thing, every moment of experience is going to have countless options, countless things you could speak about up from your own mind or just an encounter with someone on the street. You could say a million different things. There's always much more unsaid than said. That's just a fact. How do you speak the truth? So there's this, in, it's a process that's you really in some ways as delicate and beautiful as sati, which is discernment. What's true? What's true? Out of all of this, what do I speak? And you can look at the movement of the mind, you can look at the, throughout the body, you can check the mind states and how they vibrate. You can just release everything and see what endures. Or you can just sense that there's an energy behind something and you don't necessarily know why it's there, but you just trust it and that's true enough. And it's spoken with sati, spoken with a continuity of mindfulness that makes that connection somehow when you touch the truth, you're touching something that's not languaged. 
the truth of, a, of a, an emotion, a feeling, of a thought, even the truth of saying something like, uh, let's take something concrete like, um, I, I, would, I wish I had a jacket to wear because I'm cold. You're still coming from an experience of coldness, a notion of jacket, an image of wearing something, and there's this tension that would speak it. I wish I had a jacket. So even something very concrete needs to be put together with language because it is not language. It's just a feeling. I'm cold. Image. Jacket. Right? And you're reverse engineering, you might say, those perceptions, those feelings, down into the feelings, and then connecting them with words. So even when you discover the truth, your work isn't done. It still has to find its way out into the world through words. And when you put together with care the experience and the language, you're moving back and forth. You're dwelling at the boundary of the unlanguaged, of just the experience, and finding where and how you can express this. And you're still not done. Because now you have to physically talk. Can you talk? Can you speak aloud with mindfulness? Physical act, it's like walking meditation, like breath. In fact, it's built on breath. Try talking without breathing. So we explore this, and the exploration itself is meditation practice. It's not meditation practice probably as you've practiced it outside of insight dialogue. But you can see that the cultivation of the sati and samadhi, of the dhamma vijaya, the investigation, the virya, the energy, the pasadi, the tranquility to settle into and discover experience. And we'll see what might be present of joy and equanimity, I don't know. As you listen, as you speak, That's our practice. Listen deeply. Speak the truth. That's our practice.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.